Hey, what's happening, good people? This is your boy, Marvin Shiloh, and we got Deron in the building. You know what it is? We are the Beard Always Wins. It's movements, it's lifestyle, and more importantly, it's a podcast, good people. One, we're so grateful and thankful that you all are listening to, and do us a favor, wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, it don't matter. Do us a favor, like, share, subscribe, and tell your mama they could listen to it. Even your mama's mamas can listen to it. And shout out to Molane, shout out to the, uh, excuse me, Ryan, and also Charlotte. Uh, not with us today, but guess what? We still in it. And right now, we kind of going back through memory lane and trying to find out when the shift of hip-hop began. At first, we thought it was, what, 93 to run? 94? Yeah. But actually, I think it's it's a, it's a marker. In fact, let's just start with, with what we initially were talking about. We were talking about the Notorious B.I.G. What's up? All right, so... The pre- the preface everything that we about to talk about. We talking about these moments in time where it's like going from the hip, the hop, the hip to the hip to the hip to the hip hop. You don't stop to Big Daddy Kane. Like you got Sugar, you got Sugar Hill Gang. Then you had LL Run DMC. Then you had eighty seven with Rakim, Public Enemy, all of these groups. And then it was uh, the where we. Well, we seem to have a slight agreement, agree to disagree, is when did the shift start? Did it start in 92 or did it start in 93? I'm arguing 92. Mun is arguing 93. Well, actually, as I take a look, I think it's... I'm actually going to agree with you when I say 92, because I just looked at 92. Um, But I think it was a three-year time span from 92... To 95. 93 and 94. Yep. All the way up to 95 as well. Bef- and, and the reason why I say that, because it, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, what, 92, 93, 94. That's a five, four-year time span. But it makes sense because back then, an album would last most artists two years. They could still mm-hmm. tour and release singles off an album two years later. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're right. And so, but it, but it was a thing where it was you had all of these upstart like album, uh, record labels like actually putting money into like artist development, and you hopped in a van and you you did you hit up college towns on top of like large medium sized cities to like get the word out doing radio interviews like all the stuff that youngins now would have no idea how to like like. They couldn't comprehend doing all that type of stuff. Yeah, because I agree with you. Like when I look at ninety two, right, and just looking at a couple of couple albums, the, the of course probably everybody's favorite was probably the Chronic in ninety two. Right. Um, but you also had Mecca and the Soul Brother, uh, Gangs, uh, Daily Operation, Gangstar, um, <laughs> your favorite Dos Effects, Dead Serious. But you also had hey. <laughs> <laughs> you also had the Predator by Ice Cube. Um, what else? Shorty the Pimp. Yep, Shorty the Pimp. Two shots. Uh, totally crossed out, crisscross. Right. Um, what else? You had. Uh, well, you had uh, Return. Well, not Return product, but you had like early like Spice One, MC Ren, like. Solo album drop. Uh, if you if you are of a certain age and you were born in the South, uh, Poisonous Mentality by Poison Clan. 
will mark a, will mark a change in the way that Southern hip hop was like wrapped. Uh, Too hard to swallow UGK's uh, debut album, Business Never Personal from EPMD. So you like you got all of these joints in '92. Now the reason I say '92 is in '91 you had a certain thing. What was, let me see. Um, I should have looked this up. But when did Hammer's album drop? So Hammer, I want to say. 90? 90, 91. Hammer. No, 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 I take that back. 91. Too legit to quit dropping 91. Yeah. So you had all, so you had all, you had a whole bunch of like MCs that were thinking like, hey, this thing is getting too cute. It's getting too commercialized. Things that, things that most artists care about more now than the actual product <laughs> <laughs> was, Hammer was doing in 91 and was getting, blasted for it, right? Yeah. So, like, you had, like, all this stuff going on. And so, 92 marked, to me, 92 marked the shift because that was the last time where you could still get away with doing the hammer type stuff. And so, you could do a, you could do a crisscross. Like, think about it. Totally crossed out is completely different than crisscross's second and third album on So So Death. Because the times changed. Yeah. Yeah, the time the times change, and so like when you go from ninety two, but even from ninety two, like because you got to think like the chronic didn't drop until the summer of ninety two, right? Um, right. Yeah, but then like you go into ninety three, and then when you go into ninety three, uh, the East Coast kind of you know the Wu Tang comes back. Tribe releases Midnight uh, Marauders. You got uh, Onyx. Uh, you got. Nolly by nature, um, outcast. Yep, outcast. Uh, ninth uh, souls of mischief. You still got. Spice. I'm sorry, ninety four. Outcast was ninety four. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you still had even Easy E dropped the album <laughs> back then. Right. Down, Down with the King, Run DMC's last album. Uh, that was all ninety three. Yeah, ninety three. Now. You say all these albums for '93. Now this is when the this is when the ship was like full blast, and that was '94. So '94, you got Southern playlist of Cadillac music from Outkast, classic. Yeah. Ready to Die, big classic. Illmatic, classic. Yeah. Resurrection from Common. Some people would say a classic. Hard to Earn from Gangstar, classic. The Diary from Scarface, classic. Depending on what your what your mood and what your type of hip hop is, the sun rises in the east by Jeru the Damager, which was a middle finger to all the stuff that Big and Nas was doing. Yeah, yeah. Hell, it even it even made Beastie the Beastie Boys switch up, and they dropped Ill Communication in '94. Super Tight came out in '94. Uh, from UGK, Funkify '94, Regulated G Funk era '94. Mm-hmm. There's a Dark Side '94. OC Word Life '94. Yeah, the, and the funny thing is, with all these great albums, the one album that took off and got got mainstream appeal was "It Takes a Thief" from Coolio. Yeah, with Fantastic Voice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But then you see hip hop; it keeps it keeps coming. It keeps coming along because, like in '95, you got the infamous Mob Deep, Only Built for Cuban Links, Soul Food, Liquid Swords, the uh, Return. To return to the 36 chambers 
You got The Shining, Smith & Wesson, which was good. Do You Want More by The Roots. Uh, Life, Big L's, Lifestyles of, of the Poor and Dangerous. Uh, dangerous. Yep. In a major way, E40, Coast to Coast to Alcoholics, Do or Die, AZ. Um, the Far Side, I ain't even try to pronounce that one. Lab, Lab, oh, Lab in California. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had Coogee <laughs> Rap on top of the world. Uh, Mr. Smith. With a, with, with a fire ass Nas remix of Fast Life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? You had, um, your favorite Jealous Ones Envy, Fat Joe. Um, <laughs> one of our one of our favorites, True by True, uh, Double or Nothing. Man. Who else you had? So, you, uh, the so show you hear all these albums. Now you hear y'all heard all these albums that me and Mon have wrong off. But wait, but wait, but wait. It's one more. It's two more. Two more. Um, you got. Man, where'd it go? I just saw it. I just saw. It. Hold on. Operation Stack Ola, the Loonies. And oh, the number one on the, the number one album of that year is Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. <laughs> Coolio. Shout R.I.P. Coolio, shout out to Coolio for holding it down, right? So we so y'all hear all these in the albums that we named. None of these a lot of these albums have a few things that come up, but not a lot of things that come like different themes and everything. Ninety six is where it's like Everybody follows the blueprint that's been laid the three to four years before. So the only albums I think that you could honestly say was a little bit different than what we previously named was the score by the Fugees. Yeah. Riding Dirty from UGK because they was doing their own thing. And three albums that I really love that uh, I hold near and dear because they basically was like, hey, man, y'all don't see what's happening, what's going on here. Like all this mafioso Lil' Kim, Foxy Brown type rap that's going on and people embracing it. Like, it was basically like see the Lord sucking in Reverend Calvin Butts in like album form. But they was, people said that they was too preachy. One is Illadelph Half Life on the Roots. Yep. Never do. Second one do. Is, yep. The second one is Stakes is High from De La Soul, which to me still is the greatest album that dropped in 96. On top of these albums about the name and rap for the math on J. Rue the Damager, which was another middle finger at all the stuff that was going on in hip hop. But in '96, you had the score from the Fugees, Reasonable Doubt, Jay Z, AT Aliens, Outkast, All Eyes on Me, Tupac, Muddy Waters, which, in my opinion, is Redman's best album. Yeah. Hell on Earth from Mob Deep. It was written from Nas. Dunk uh, Machiavelli from Tupac. Iron Man from Ghostface, Soul on Ice, which don't get talked about as far as like dope ass West Coast albums that got released at the time. Uh, Nocturnal from Helter Skelter, uh, The Awakening from Lord Finesse, The Hall of Game from E40, Ice Cream Man, Master P, The Coming from Buster Rhymes, which held, which held people down in the winter of 96. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest disappointment of them all was The Dog Father from Snoop Dogg. Yeah, yeah, that was a disappointment. That was a disappointment. But the next year, you also get. Uh, That's the, when it really went to hell because Puff got in the game. Yeah, Puff brought in the shiny suits. Yeah, yeah, but you got Wu Tang Forever, which is <clears throat> okay. I ain't gonna say that. Uh, the War Report. Capone. No, no, no. Go ahead and say it because it's, it's something I wanted to say about uh, about that double album too. 
So it it, it, it it didn't need to be a double album. It's only about five good songs off that dub of that whole album. Um that and I probably still only listen to like two of them to this day. Kinda wanna know kinda know what I mean, it's, it was a whole bunch of songs that got scrapped because of but a lot of what was supposed to make that album got destroyed in that flood that RZA had that destroyed, like, like, uh, like, what was it? Like, all of, uh, ODB's, um, first album got destroyed in the flood. Yeah. A whole bunch of, like, Method Man's to Cal got destroyed in the flood. Like, it was a whole bunch of beats that we should have heard that we never gonna get to hear. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you also got One Day It All Makes Sense. And then you got Big's last album, which is Life After Death, which <sighs> they didn't need to be a double album. Better double album than All Eyes On Me. I agree. <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree. Like, sometimes listen to these double albums, but, like, it don't need... You, I don't think we need it to the double album. You know... Uh, Who has dropped the best double album if, that you can think of off the top of your head? R. Kelly? Well played. <laughs> well played. <laughs> R. Kelly. In my opinion, you know, um, because what the blueprint right, too so, was not. So it. who made the best double? Who made the best double album out of these three greats? Bigs, Life After Death, Tupac's All Eyes on Me, or let me see who else didn't drop the double album? Hell, E Forty didn't drop the double album. Uh, Nas dropped one with uh, Streets Disciple. Uh, who else dropped one? Master P dropped two double albums. Yeah. We didn't ask for all that. We did. <laughs> we did. Outcast, Love Below, Wait. Speaker Box. Yeah, that might be the best hip hop double album. Better than UGK's last album, which was a double album? Yeah, for me. For me. Mm. Better than the Blueprint too, man, dude. Blueprint two was trash. Bro, I went back and listened to it like yesterday. No, no lie, I went back and listened to it. Yeah, had, had about five. <laughs> it's, worse than, it's, it, it's worse than we thought. Had maybe five good songs, maybe. Am I right or wrong? Uh, depend on what depends on what your uh, flavor is. Because for me, it was. What song did I go back? Uh, the You Don't Know remix ain't nothing but a cheat code because you ain't do nothing but throw M.O.P. on there. Um, a Dream just seemed forced. Um, Hovey Baby was good. Guns N' Roses, which not when I was listening to something like, damn, now that I think about it, you know what? They went with Lenny Heavy Kravitz, right? Some, yeah, Heavy D produced songs for Jay-Z and Nas. Yeah. Uh, popping tags only because of Killer Mike verse. Big Mike, uh, Big Boy has a good verse on that one too. Uh, some people hate, even though I know people that hate it. Uh, show you how, show you how to do is the Jay Z we should have got on this album. The bounce, I like the bounce, the bounce, and excuse <sighs> me, Miss. that was it. Uh, excuse. Excuse me, Miss was my joint in the club. Like yeah. I heard, excuse me, Miss in the club. Hide your daughters. Cause I was on the prowl. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just saying, like 
out of all of these songs, like, all you needed was one. One album. So he re-releases it as the Blueprint 2.1. You know what? You know what? Two songs we forgot on here? The Watcher Part 2 goes hard. The Watcher Part 2? That's, yeah. That's the... Uh, they, they got Rakim and Dre on. Yeah. Yeah. And... For whatever reason, people, mostly Jay Z fans, saying they love this song. I don't get it. It don't make any sense to me. Meet the Parents is trash. It was. And his attempt to sound like uh, sincere on a ballad for the fallen soldier was like, nah, just keep rapping about crack, dog. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, back to uh, to ninety seven, right? Which is, I think, in '97, is was like the pinnacle. Was like okay, you're stepping your game up. You got to because you still had uh, underrated album Uptown Saturday Night by Camplo, When Disaster Strikes, uh, Super Duper Fly, Missy Elliott. Uh, which which is an album I used to bump and y'all used to give me hell about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, because we dudes ride around in the Camry. <laughs> hey. So, so just in case y'all didn't know, me and Mud and JR and KT and a whole bunch of like, we all like really clicked up, what, 96, 97? 96. Yeah. 96. Like, late yeah. 96. So, they used to give me hell because I had like these weird ass musical tapes. Like, they hated on me because I used to play Big Pun all the time. <laughs> I played Missy album all the time. <laughs> Who else did I use to play that John? Oh, like, man, what you playing John B for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. What those chicks around? <laughs> like, hey. Man. But, yeah, still, though, it was, it was a good album, though. Um, who else was it? Uh, that was another one. 97. Oh, just in case y'all... Just in case y'all wonder how all this came about is because when we initially started talking this morning or this afternoon, we started talking. I was like, man, you know what? It's been 26 years since No Way Out came out. Yeah. And that, and that fed into the big album, which, yeah, underrated gem. Which one? This was before uh, No Way Out. Can't no Yeah. Let me see. Can't Nobody Hold Me Down was released in January. I'll Be Missing You was released in May. It's All About the Benjamins was released in August. Been Around the World, which isn't a single I wanted to release, but I would have released Victory before Been Around the World. And uh, Victory got released like a year later. Yeah. Yo, Mystical came, That's when they, came out in 97. Mystical, Unpredictable came out in 97. Yeah, yeah. Mister had a nice run before we found out that he was a uh, yeah. a uh, Bill Cosby disciple. Yeah, <laughs> serial rapist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. So yeah, so that's Village. all I got for music. Slum Village, uh, fantastic. Oh yeah, hey. If 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 that was a, a artist or a group that got slept on. Like out of the nineties or the early two thousands, that people need to really go back and appreciate Slum Village, all because of Jay Dillon. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Common is a one day it all makes sense. 
I hated that album. I think that was the beginning of my uh, hate for uh, Common Sense. Yeah, September 30th when that one released. I don't see him. Um, Go ahead. Well, I don't know. I don't know how deep you was into this music, but you could, if you was black and so if you was a kid in the nineties, like you couldn't afford this music. But I saw a, a thread that was on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. It made perfect sense. It was like it was talking about how black people was killing dance music in the nineties, and they were talking about like Karen Wheeler from like Soul to Soul, um, CC Peniston, like all these. All these people, all these black folks that were like killing like dance music back in the uh, in the nineties, like the uh, <laughs> like you ain't seen the you ain't seen the post like they had the woman who had the suit uh, for uh, the everybody dance song. Yeah, every, that you heard everywhere that, at, at a sporting event. That was CNC Music Factory, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, fact- the woman who was singing it was in the background on some Milli Vanilli, like stand behind the curtain type stuff, but yeah. Martha, uh, what's her name? I saw the clip though. I saw the clip. But yeah, that was uh. But you had like CNC Music Factory. You had CC Peniston. You had who else was it? Karen Wheeler, Soul to Soul. Yeah. Yeah, the whole bunch. You had a whole bunch of groups that came out of like um, like out of England that was like taking like that garage sound. Yeah. And bringing it to the forefront. So you like you had that. You had uh. It was pretty much all the music you would hear on the uh, MTV. Uh, what was that that show they used to have on MTV? But they'd be in the club. Oh man! Ooh, I forget. I know which one you're talking about, but I forgot. Oh man! <laughs> what was that show? It was like MTV's version had, of it Soul had, Train. Uh, it had the, it had the black it had the black uh, VJ. Uh, what was the name? She was English. She was British. She was British. Yeah. Oh, what was her name? Hold on, I'm for the, I gotta be, I gotta be with this. Sorry, y'all, but what was her name? I gotta uh, downtown Julie Brown. Was downtown Julie Brown? Yep, that's it. Yeah, downtown Julie Brown. Yep. Yep, down. <laughs> downtown Julie I Brown. Even, I don't even want to know where the downtown park came from. Hopefully, it had something to do with clubs. But yeah, that, that's club, club MT, club MTV was the name of. It. Yep, that was a. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder what she's doing now. See what her Wikipedia look like. Uh, I'm about to. I'm on it right now. Oh, she used to work for ESPN. Hmm. Yep. All right. Yep. She posed for Playboy. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is the end of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Post for Playboy. Hey, like, uh, subscribe, share with a friend. <laughs> yeah. We tell you something you probably didn't know. Um, nah. But yeah, she uh, yeah, she was at MTV for a good minute, of uh, five years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hey, you know what? Because I think they finally decided to get rid of MTV News either this year or last year. You know who still works for MTV? Kurt Loader. He does. Yeah, well, he used to before they got rid of MTV News. Mm. Yo, is anything on MTV other than ridiculousness? And while now we can say the same, we can say the same thing for BET, yeah. VH1. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, I can honestly say, like, I used uh, to. Like, mom, yeah. mom, mom, you will not believe this. What's that? You know, we were talking about how Mama and Nick Saban being the same age and it being ridiculous. Yeah. 
Kurt Loder is seven years older than Nick Saban. What? <laughs> Kurt Loder is 78 years old. Wow. And for some reason, I always thought he was British. No, he was born in Miami, Florida. Wow. I never thought he was British, but I know he was 78. Yeah. Damn. That's nothing. Yo, so what well, yeah, it kinda it kinda does make sense because if you think about it, thirty years ago, nineteen ninety, he, he I think he's been with MTV ever since the beginning. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, probably one of those rockers that was in the seventies and fighting for rock and roll to be on the airway. Yeah, kind of, I guess it does kind of make sense, but the fact that he's he's wow, never really. Well, Kurt Loder had to hate his life <laughs> starting in nineteen eighty, having to hang around the people that he had to hang around. Considering that in nineteen eighty, in nineteen eighty, he was thirty five years old. Yeah. You imagine that being thirty five years old, being in your forties, having to hang around uh, Carson Daly <laughs> at spring break when he was out there grabbing all up on Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. <laughs> <laughs> you just that old creepy ass dude in Panama City Beach. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I say it. it's kind of weird now. So what else we got on the docket? Kind of weird. Let's talk about. Uh, let, let's switch it. Let, let, let's let's go into a little sports. Talk about Colin Cowherd calling Justin Fields a bust because Kyle, because Justin Fields believes that he's a top five rushing quarterback. He didn't say he was a top five quarterback. Just a top five rushing quarterback. And c- considering that the guy had <coughs> eleven hundred yards rushing, ten touchdowns, uh, I think he actually led the league. In rushing for quarterbacks. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're right. So, why wouldn't he consider himself to be a top five rushing quarterback? Because Colin Cowherd is full of it. He is. Like, Simple and plain. He's full of it. This is the same thing about it. John, Colin Cowherd said that John Wall would not succeed in basketball because he grew up in a single, family, a single mother household. Matter of fact, this is the type of dude you're dealing with. Matter of fact, I want to know what's his most outrageous takes. Because Colin Cowherd, but, but let's get back to Justin Fields real quick. Let me just say this: no the Bears are bad. the The Bears are bad. His first year, he was sacked the most out of everybody. That tells you that the offensive line is bad. I also tell you that the offensive coordinator was not doing the kid any favors either. The next year, last year, the Bears were still bad. I get it. He's only, they've only won five games as an organization. But one thing I will tell you about Justin Fields, I went to, to G-Day his first year. That was in 18, I believe. Um, went to G-Day. The kid was should have still been in high school, but he was looked he like... But but yo, he looked like he looked like he belonged. Like you could see the speed, you could see just the flick of the wrist, like the the arm strength, everything. My one criticism I had of Justin Fields was that he wasn't patient enough. He needed to 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 read the field a little bit more if he was going to be successful. That was my biggest criticism. 
But that's the same criticism that you have of most freshman quarterbacks. He goes on to Ohio State, almost wins the Heisman. 2020 was the year that, well, they, how many games did Ohio State play in, tw- play in 2020? Six? Six. Yeah. So it's very small sample size. And then he goes to the Bears. And listen, I don't care what nobody says, 98% of the time when teams are picking in the first five picks, it's because they suck. <laughs> they had a horrible year the year before. So he didn't go to a good team. Now, if he, he improved from year one to year two, he should improve from year two to year three. If he doesn't, then you can say the kid's a bust. But if he does, and the, the pieces around him, matter of fact, name one other player other than Justin Fields on the Bears. Um, let me see Khalil Mack not there. He played defense. Tariq Cohen isn't there anymore. They got rid of Montgomery. Uh, Chase Claypool, that's the only person I know. And the only reason I know that because they traded in the second round pick to Pittsburgh to grab him at wide receiver. He sucked. So, yeah. But, too, it's just like, it's just like I was listening to Paul Pierce on uh, Cam and Mason's show earlier. And he was talking about how he he knows in his heart of hearts that he's better than Dwayne Wade. And <laughs> he, he, which, I mean, he gave some legit, like, reasons why. He's like, hey, man, like, you, sometimes you can't control who you get drafted to. And he's like, let's face it, he's like, some, I'm just prefacing what he's saying, but he's like, or paraphrasing what he's saying, but he's like, yeah, he's like, you can get drafted to what you think is a good situation because you go through the whole pre-draft, like, um, pre-draft stuff. And then when you get there and find out, like, hey, man, this organization don't know what the hell they're doing here. Like, they don't know how to run an organization. He's like, and that was his first few years when he was in Boston. And like, all he had was him, Walter McCarty, and Antoine Walker, and an injured Ron Mercer. And coaches were coming in and out. Because I want to say he start. did he start off with, he didn't start off with Patino. I want to say he started off with Calipari. But yeah. then he, he went through a whole cycle of coaches before they got to Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers brought some structure. And Danny Ainge brought some structure to the front office. And that made his job a whole lot easier. But for folks that try to pretend like, Pierce wasn't a bucket in the league. Yo, Paul Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce was was good. Like really, really good. Like easily every year for the majority of his career, he was a top ten player. Every year. Easily. Up up until like that that one title that they won. After that, yeah. he became a laughing stock because Oh yeah, I found what you was looking for. Not to detract, but uh, top five boneheaded comments from Colin Cowherd. <laughs> All right, you want to take number five? I'll take number four. Yeah, uh, number five is uh, Ben Simmons is a top five player in the NBA and is a much more fun, is more fun to watch than LeBron James. <laughs> number four, Dak Prescott is a backup in the in the NFL at tight end. <laughs> hey. If somebody that lived in Dallas the last three years, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of fans that would actually agree with that nonsense. Uh, number three, he would take Carson Wentz over Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> he said this in 2020. Yeah, this is with 10 years of uh, Aaron Rodgers being the star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did not. 
He tells us that he did not like Vince Young coming out of Texas because Young's story motion reminded him of Tim Tebow. However, the one small problem is, is that Tim Tebow was still in high school when <laughs> when Vince Young got drafted. The worst. Yeah. And the number one worst thing that he said to me is always going to be the John Wall won't Mad in the NBA because he come from a single mother household. But the number one on here said, he says that the Golden State Warriors would never sign KD or win titles with Kevin Durant. All right. <laughs> and they did nothing but go to three straight finals. And won two, two of them. Two. Two out of three. So let's see. Let's go back. Let's go back. So number five, Ben Simmons, he's scared to shoot. And I don't care. I'm not the biggest LeBron fan, but I'm not a LeBron hater. There's no way Ben Simmons is funner to watch than LeBron. Ben Simmons, ben Simmons will forever be remembered by me as the dude who was scared to dunk on Trey Young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that Prescott is a backup in the NFL at tight end. Listen. Uh, um- I'm telling you, go to go to Dallas. There's a whole bunch of fans that think he was the problem and that they need to get a ball to Zeke. And Zeke was Zeke was the little engine that could the last three years in the league. Well, let, let me say this. I think the year he broke his ankle, messed up his ankle, um, in the the next year, I think those were that was the window of, of opportunity for Dallas. That's that's what I believe and. Because the offensive line was aging. And last year, hey, this is what I say. And me being a semi-Cowboys fan, I don't really have a team in the NFL. But if I got to claim one, it would be the Cowboys. Um, from what I've seen, Dallas is going to have to rebuild. They don't have to totally destroy everything, but they got to rebuild the offensive line because that's... Zach Martin can only be there for so long. Exactly. Uh, William, he, he, hell, I think he talk, he talking about um, sitting it out because he want to restructure his contract. Yeah, and uh, what was the uh, tackle name um, that's been hurt? He, oh, the you think about Tyron Smith? Yeah, Tyron Smith. You know, he's getting kind of long in the tooth. So, yeah, defensively, I think Dallas is sound. I think they got a they they got uh, with Tony Pollard is going to be serviceable. They drafted that that little kid out of Kansas State. What's his name? Uh, Deuce. Yeah, Deuce. I think Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, they got uh, who they got? Wow. Uh, you want to know? You want to know what's crazy about this Zeke thing? Zeke about to be out the league and just turned twenty eight. Crazy. Yesterday. Crazy. Yeah, I'm surprised. Speaking. Of, speak, matter of fact, I don't mean cut off your uh, uh, like cut you off, but that's what's crazy. So you know the. Uh, and like uh, the uh let me see. It's Saquon, Dalvin Cook, Tony Pollard, and like two other running backs. And they basically trying to do like how they doing with the tight end with you know they got tight end you or whatever where all the tight ends in the league get together for like a weekend. Yeah. And like do this thing. So apparently they supposed to be meeting up because everybody talk about how the NFL PA is like a pretty good union, but like, hey man, like they screwing running backs. So like let me see. It's Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Josh Jacobs, along with Austin Eckler, are all meeting up and like, yeah, what they doing to us is like not above board. Like, 
they, they, they don't do this in any other position. So I think I heard where it's like, yo, if, if the NFL shelf life for running backs is so low, then they need to have shorter contracts. True. True. Either, like, either either give me a shorter contract or make my contract fully guaranteed, which I know you ain't gonna do. Exactly. Um, which I don't understand why the NFLPA don't fight for the fully guaranteed contracts. Oh, pff, but you think Jerry Jones gonna give give a fully guaranteed contract out? Or or the bare minimum. Half of the fifty, half the, the the half of the contract is guaranteed. The last two years are. Well, you yeah. own you own the uh, you own the L.A. Charger. Are you? Let me see who real who a real injury injury uh, injury prone player right now. Say you own the New York Giants. You willing to give twenty two million dollars a season for the next five years to Saquon Barkley when you know. He's probably only going to be good for like maybe 40 to 45% of that, of that contract. You going to fully guarantee that? I but, can either. But, Deron, we already know Armand ain't giving nobody $22 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> you said you new, new quarterbacks every year. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we already know that. You already know that. I'm not giving. But yeah, they got to figure, figure something out for these running backs because the way they're getting screwed over is crazy to me. Like, it is. It's like after the. I want to say after the, the that no, second, ahead. like they'll get that second contract, right? But yeah, but then that's but that's where they get usually cut them though. Yeah. Unless they producing. Because you ain't even got to be producing. Because like think about it, like teams will rather teams will is rather than pay Dalvin Cook, the Minnesota Vikings would rather go into the season with. With uh, the Madison kid out of Boise State, or they'll sign somebody like Adrian Peterson, who's still trying to hang on in the league. I thought he, he ain't retired yet. Nope. Wow. Hell, it was what was it? it was a couple of years ago. Hell, the Green Bay Packers were trying to bring Marshawn Lynch out of retirement because they didn't want to pay Aaron Jones. Yeah, it's crazy. So, but yeah. but at the same time, with the quarterbacks getting, when everybody's getting all these this big time money. I get it as a running back, where you probably take the the most pounding. You probably want to get paid. Not a problem. You do want to get paid. You want to get compensated for what you're going through, for what you're doing. Right. You know. Um, and yo, you want you want to know what's crazy about all this stuff? If you want to talk about expendable position, ain't no other position in football more expendable than it ain't running back. It's wide receiver. Yeah. The wide receiver that coming in the league now. I can easily find me a Hunter Renfro and slide him into the slot <laughs> and make myself make myself into, uh, make another uh, what's your boy name Wes Welker or another Julian Edelman in the slot dude like them dudes is replaceable what's my guy name uh, went to Georgia played for the Chiefs super fast uh, oh McCall Harden yeah is he still with uh, KC nah he signed with the Jets nah he signed with the Jets with the Jets yeah yeah so th- and think about it. It's gonna be crazy to see what become of his career because he, apparently he had a he had a beef with like I won't say it was with uh, Mahomes, but he had a beef with Kansas City fans. But they were like, "Hey man, like you want to get paid, but you ain't never helping." 
Yeah. Now think about when he now think about when he go to somebody like Aaron Rock, who known for spreading the ball out. Yeah, he had twenty six <laughs> catches, forty one, fifty nine. Then last year was a he only had twenty five catches, but I think he was hurt most of the year last year. Yeah, can't stay healthy. Yeah, because they thought he was going. They thought he was going to slide into that uh to that spot that Cheetah left behind when he left for Miami. Yeah, but yeah, but McCall Hartman is he one eighty seven. He kind of, kind of, he's kind of light, but he's fast though. I tell you, that's that's one, yeah. that's one 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 uh, uh, player that I think Georgia wasted. <laughs> I think they wasted because the first year they tried to make him a cornerback. Mm. Yep, tried to make him a cornerback. I'm gonna say, who, I'm gonna say, um, I mean. I get the height, I get the height and weight stuff, but do it really make a difference? Because I mean, Devontae Smith got over a thousand yards. And I weigh more than uh, I weigh, I weigh more than De- Devontae Smith my whole life. Yeah, I mean, it's like so, I, I don't know if it matters, but dude, like McCole Harmon, like he's six foot, he's six one, one eighty, one eighty seven. Uh, we know that's a, we, in, in reality, we know that's five eleven and a half. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> what, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, in some cases it does, some cases it doesn't. You know, like depending on how you built, you know, they just kind of, kind of is what it is. Like, so, like, uh, oh man, Malcolm Mitchell, like Malcolm, like Malcolm could have been could have been serviceable, but then the injuries he took, you know, he lasted what? And his was just feet problems, right? Foot and knee, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Uh, How much time we got left? We got about twenty minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it it does it it matters, but at the same time it doesn't because you've seen small people. Uh, <laughs> well, was Darren Sproles come to mind? Darren Sproles was was small. Got a story about him, but I'll, it can it can, it got it it definitely had to wait till after we finish recording. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Darren, Darren Sproles was what five eight five six five six five six five six but built like a bowling ball chief five six 190 pounds yep yep hey the only the only I remember seeing him on campus when I was stationed at Riley yo him who else was it him Frank Murphy and who ended up playing for the 49ers and uh, damn, what's my boy that played for the Jazz? Because he left me a couple of tickets. Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, built like, I'm like, bro, that, like you two cheeseburgers away from you two cheeseburgers and a bad breakup away from being like obese, my guy. <laughs> Shoot, uh, <laughs> like you need, you might want to cheat him. Yeah, uh, your boy was. Um, Maurice Jones drew five seven, two oh seven. See Ray Rice. Hey, it was it was it was uh, Frank Murphy, uh, Darren Sproles, and uh, David Allen. Yeah, Ray Rice was five eight two twelve. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. So uh-huh. I got I got I got a question for you. And this this is uh, 
inspired by one of the conversations I had with Ryan. What was the the worst pair of shoes you ever bought? Like you look back at it now, you be like, man, those shoes were trash. Mm, that I bought or that uh, my aunt bought, because you know. No, that that you bought. All right, so we can say the worst pair of shoes you ever owned, but the worst. But sometimes, you know, as kids, we don't have the luxury to, to just pick out the shoes we want. So when you when you finally buy your own shoes, you go back and you go back and you think about it. Like, what was the worst pair of shoes you ever bought? I got two. <laughs> Uh, my uh, and I, I splurged my whole paycheck to get like one of these shoes. You know, we weren't making much as privates in the army. But the first <laughs> one was the uh, was the uh, Kobe Adidas that was supposed to look like uh, the Crazy Eights. Oh, the the, the moon shoes. Yep. The moon shoes. Oh, ill, ill. So yeah, that was ill. There you go. Then think about them. Yo, them shoes. <laughs> ugly yo I did not like what made you buy those like Kobe and it was the Lakers and I was like why not oh man matter of fact matter of fact I think my old room my first roommate in the army kind of he listened to the podcast and we uh cause I put him on to it I didn't uh see how but uh hey Hargrove if you listening I blame you cause we both went and got him at the same time <laughs> <laughs> Because Hargrove was, he was from LA, so. Yeah. Matter of fact, Hargrove, Hargrove was such a, uh, like, his first name, Bryant, but Hargrove was such a damn uh, Lakers fan. Like, he named his child Kobe Bryant Hargrove. Wow. I think, I think Kobe a picture for uh, University of Arkansas Pine Bluff baseball team, you know, something like that. Mm. So, yeah. So, it was them, and the second one was the first T-Mac. And strength, not... It's not strange that both of these shoes were both made by Adidas, but yeah, the T-Mac ones, quite possibly the, uh, the worst shoes that ever played basketball in. I tore my ankles up <laughs> twice in them joints. I remember they were heavy. Yep, they were heavy as hell. Uh, honorable mention go to the, uh, to the glove, uh, Nikes that you could change the, uh, you could actually take like the shell off the shoe. Yeah, and you could have like different colorways. Yeah, uh, I damn, I damn near uh, almost uh, was in the same position that Coach Prime found himself in now with his toes wearing those <laughs> shoes one time. Wow! <laughs> in the snow in Korea. Wow! But they didn't have no grip. So yeah, sure. I would say the worst pair I ever bought was the the Nike Shocks. Nike Shocks were the worst pair. Which, the running which shoes. Year? Uh, two thousand, yeah, two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand four. Nike shocks, those like the worst pair as far as like this. Like man, these these shoes serve absolutely no purpose at all. And then I would go ahead and go on and say the worst pair other than that gotta be S dots. Oh, the uh, the one of the Gucci's. Yeah, the S dots. Those might be the worst, the worst pair. But I like them though. I, I did. I like them. At I the know. Time. I know. We done moved all in life and got married, got kids, got whole families out here. But have you ever sat back and and like did some recollection? Like, man, Jay Z had us doing some crazy ass stuff in yeah. the two thousands. Yeah, like, we're button, we're button up shirts that were way too oversized, dude. 
Like I, I go Let's back. Know, we was going to court. Man, I, I, I found a, a picture. Uh, I have to, I have to see if I can find it. I'm not saying the key wrong, but I, I had on some. I swear these got to be the biggest jeans I've ever owned. Look, <laughs> 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 a pair of t- Tim's, an uh, oversized uh, Inichi or E N Y C E. I never knew how to pronounce that. But uh, it's it's, uh, it's pronounced NYC, but we was country, so we said Aniche. Yeah, Aniche. So <laughs> yeah, oversized shirt, and I'm like, I'm like, God, these this ecos were huge. Like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Hey, now that you mentioned this, now that we're talking about like life embarrassments, what was the most? <laughs> what was the most? WTF was that moment? What WTF? What was I thinking moment in your lifetime? Because for me, it had to be with me and all my homies uh, buying white Ohio State jerseys and looking like the entire damn Ohio State football team walking into the club <laughs> in Korea <laughs> in two thousand one. <laughs> Dude, like, so we had a couple moments like that in Germany. Like, uh, we had, we all bought we bought throwbacks, like throwbacks, like <laughs> like everybody having a throwback. And so we was at the club of Kiss and buy your soul. And I never forget it. Never forget it. So the, the song Change Clothes came on. And we all in the middle of the dance floor just changing shirts, changing jerseys, just passing it off. Yep. That was one of the uh <laughs> Hey, we was a boondock skit. I know. <laughs> really was. <laughs> what the hell was going on in yeah. life? <laughs> no, it's yeah. <laughs> A 23-year-old me could, could look at 43-year-old me. I, he would look at me like, what happened to us? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> and now, right. on, on a fashion tip, the worst, the the biggest WTF was I thinking moment when I bought a pair of seven jeans. A pair of what? Seven jeans. Seven jeans, seven jeans for all mankind. Yep. Yeah. I heard Lil Wayne talk about it. I heard uh, 2 Chain talk about it. Well, he was still titty boy then. Player circle. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. I found a pair. Like a like a dummy pay, like, what, three eighty nine for it? Because it was on sale. Got the jeans. They, they didn't look no different than... It feel no different than the five hundred one. The five hundred one. Yeah, man. Yep. yep. I think yep. what's a big, what's a big So outside of the whole Jersey thing, bro. Yo, so I remember when I moved back to Valdosta from uh, West Memphis. <laughs> I had just started going to lounge, so I was on my old preppy boy. I was Kanye before Kanye lines out for a certain, for about for about half a semester. Yeah, I was wearing ribbed sweaters with khakis and boat shoes. <laughs> Two. Uh what else was it? Sweater vests. No idea why the hell I wanted my chest to be warm but my arms to be cold. And so yeah, I had on a sweater vest. You was in yeah, yeah, you was in your drum, your gym trestle bag, huh? Yeah. Uh, I remember I went 